best I can. Jack, you can go home. You've heard this message 27 times. The gospel according to Moses. This is not the gospel of John. This is the gospel according to Moses. You'll find your text in Exodus 6, verses 6 through 8. And uh, you put your finger there, and you can put your other finger over in Luke 16. And we'll start in Luke 16, and we will turn our attention to Exodus chapter 6 after the introduction. The introduction has to do with the gospel in the New Testament, how it talks about the gospel in the Old Testament that Moses preached. And so I'm going to buzz through these fast because I don't have to wait on my translator today. And so you don't have to turn to these first other verses I'm going to mention. Just stay in Luke 16, and Lord willing, I promise we'll get there in just a moment. A lot of you know this stuff. I I realize that, but be reminded of it again. There is no other gospel. How did people in the Old Testament get saved? The same way the people in the New Testament got saved, and the same way you and I get saved. That might not be revelatory for you, but there's a lot of people in the world in churches that don't believe that. They don't understand the gospel's the same in the Old Testament as it is in the New Testament. So I don't want you to get confused. There's only one. How serious are we about this? If there's another gospel that's being preached, you should be damned out of the pulpit and never preach again. You say, why use such strong language? Because that's what Galatians 1 says. There is no other. Jesus himself met two guys walking down a road. He begins to open the truth to them, and he tells them that they're foolish and they're slow to understand what the prophets had spoken. And, And he says, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? This is the verse that you need. This is what Jesus said to these two men. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus took Moses and explained Moses' teaching to these two men and said, it was all about me. All right, and then there's a passage, and you know this. You don't have to turn there. Just hang out in Luke 16. But you remember this in John 5. He says to these Pharisees, If you had believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. If you don't believe his writings, how will you ever believe my words? My words, Jesus speaking, my words and Moses' words are the same. And then in the book of Acts, just very, very briefly, David says this. You find this being said about David. Being therefore a prophet, David was a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Notice, David is the he. He foresaw David saw this before it ever happened, and he spoke. What did David speak about? The resurrection of Christ. This is what the Bible says. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. And then in verse 32, it says, This Jesus, 
God raised from the dead. What do you think David was preaching in Psalms? He was preaching the gospel of the resurrection of Christ. And then you get to the end of the book of Acts, and you get to these last verses by the apostle Saul there, and you look at Saul's testimony. Think this through for a moment. From morning to evening, the whole day, he exposited the scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, explaining to them the Christ. This is what the New Testament is saying about the Old Testament. And then we find ourselves in Luke 16. We have a rich man and we have Lazarus. The rich man ends up in hell. He's being tormented by the flames of hell. Newsflash, just don't be lost here. Everybody in this room who refuses to repent, refuses to be baptized by immersion, you're going to wake up in hell one day. You're going to die and you're going to go to hell and you're going to suffer under the wrath of God for all of eternity. This is serious business. Hell is real. Heaven is real. You're going to die and spend eternity somewhere. This rich man is in hell. He's pleading with this Lazarus man in heaven at Abraham's side saying, Oh, please send someone to my five brothers that they may not have to come to this place. Please make sure they don't come here. People in hell are praying harder than the people in the church. They're weeping their eyes out. Somebody go to my family. Somebody plead with them. Interestingly, he says in verse 27 of Luke 16, I beg you, I beg you. Send him to my father's house. I have five brothers. I don't want them to come here. I don't want you in this church to go there. Please warn them. Lest they also come into this place of torment. He says, Abraham says, They have Moses. They got Moses. What more do they need? You see the answer there? From heaven, Abraham speaks and says, They have Moses. Don't miss that. They have the prophets. Let them listen. Let them hear them. If they won't hear Moses and the prophets... They're not going to believe even if someone was resurrected from the dead. That's how much confidence heaven has in the gospel that Moses preached. Let them listen to Moses. So let us equally do so this morning. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. I have one phrase and I have four words. Now, if I was at Grace Baptist again this morning, they'd take out their pens and write all this stuff down. But he got a phrase and four words. If you don't get anything else, get those things and take them home with you today. Here's your phrase. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Four times, eight verses. There's your phrase. You're going to get four words. Deliverance, redemption, Adoption and promises. Deliverance, redemption, adoption, and promise. I am the Lord. Deliverance, redemption, adoption, and promise. Now, Exodus. 
These people are in slavery in Egypt. They're in this oppression and they're under this great burden. It is dark, dark times. It's a miserable place to be. They are extremely burdened in their situation. They are not only burdened, but they are outright involved in slavery. They have a master Pharaoh over them. He has taskmasters under them. When they don't perform their work, they are beaten. They are beaten severely. It is a dark, dark time. And then in that midst of that time, God says, Moses, I want you to go and talk to Pharaoh, and you tell him to let my people go. And Moses does what God says. He tells Pharaoh, let my people go. And you know what Pharaoh does? He gets mad. No, I'm not going to let him go. You're talking like this because you've got too much time on your hands. Let me tell you what we're going to do. We're going to double the work. You keep making the same number of bricks, but now you go get your own straw. I mean, it's the burden they had just got doubled. The slavery just got more intense. And when you get to the end of chapter 5, you get this accusation by Moses to God. And so you look there at the end of chapter 5, the last line of verse 23, and here's Moses' accusation to God. He looks up to heaven, if you will, and he says, And you have not delivered your people at all. This is the last line. Look, I did everything you said, and things got worse. You've done nothing. It's terrible. Preaching this Saturday in the heart of darkness in Mexico. It's dark there. It's dark here. In verse chapter 6, verse 1, don't you love the Lord? He says to Moses, now you're going to see what I'll do. That's what it's been about all through Exodus. You go through this whole book, Moses can't deliver anybody. We're going to work this thing out with all these battles with Pharaoh that when we're done here, if these people are not in Egypt any longer, it's going to be because of the Lord. That's why. Moses didn't get in there. Hey, what's the news flash for you? I can't save you. The Pope, I'm not Mexico anymore. The Pope can't save you. Mary can't save you. No preacher can save you. Look, anybody in this room gets to heaven, the Lord got you there. Because he's the only one who can do it. And so we put all of our praise and worship to him. And then he takes it, verses 2 through 5, and he reminds them, Moses, by the way, I made a covenant. I don't break my covenants. I, I made a covenant, and I'll keep my covenant. Look, all the oppression, all the darkness, all the lostness. Just think about the, all this world that you live in here in Hazel, Texas. Think about all the corruption in politics. Think about wars and rumors of wars. Think about fornication and homosexuality and adultery and all the mess that's going on in this world and all the infidelity and all the blackness, all the depression, all the drugs, all the alcohol, all the havoc that goes on in our world. And you just sit there and say, I would the world. And you hear this phrase, I got one remedy. I am the Lord. He's still in charge and he still reigns and he will have the final say upon all matters. The only line of comfort that is given to the existence of impossibilities is who God is. We must look to him. He is the Lord 
Who else can we look to? Every bit of anxiety is relieved when we look to Him. His revelation of Himself is what we need. I don't need psychology. I don't need three steps. I don't need 12 steps. I don't need some goofy formula from Dr. Phil. I need the Lord. This is what he's saying. Say to the whole nation, I am the Lord. The verses here that we have, 6 through 8. So therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I'll be with, I will be your God. You shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of, from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Four times that phrase is found in those first eight verses. Now, on this phrase, let me just say this. Let me give you this assurance. All hope is attainable because of who God is. All freedom is attainable because of who God is. All family inclusion is attainable because of who God is. All promises are realized because of who God is. Moses learned this through experience. I pray that you learn it through experience. Now, there are seven I wills in my text. I have reduced those to four words. So we combine two I wills here, we combine two I wills here, it gives us four words to work with. So in verse 6, you get two. You get I will bring you out, and you get I will deliver. Take bring you out and deliver, and mesh those two together, and we call it Deliverance. Deliverance. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from burden. Deliverance from slavery. That's what we have here in the gospel. This is the gospel according to Moses. You have a burden, I have a deliverer. You're in slavery to sin and the devil, I have a deliverer. That's what he's preaching is deliverance. Now let me remind you of the burden. Exodus 1.11 Exodus 1.11, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. Exodus 2.11, when Moses had grown up and looked on the burdens of the people. And then in Exodus 5, verses 4 and 5, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Get back to your burden. (laughs) Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Look. The situation is they have a heavy weight upon them. Everybody outside of Christ in your day has a burden. You know Pilgrim's Progress. they got this weight on their back, this burden. They live every day under the burden of sin, under the weight of all of this sin, every day. And one day it's going to sink them down into the eternal flames of hell. That's the weight they're under. And then they're in slavery. Exodus 1.14 He made their lives bitter with hard service, mortar and brick, all kinds of work in the field. And all the work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Exodus 2.23, 
In those days, the king of Egypt died. The people of Israel groaned. Because of their slavery, they cried out. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. Exodus 5.9, Exodus 5.11. Let heavier work be laid on the men, that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words. Go and get your straw yourselves wherever you can find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Slavery, burdens, that's where they are. Now, you want to equate this to the gospel? How is this gospel-centered? Romans chapter 6, 15 through the end of the chapter. We are under burdens and enslaved to sin. Sin is our taskmaster and beats us every day, beating the living daylights out of people without Christ every day under this burden of sin. And because of sin, they're they're blinded, they're dead, and they're going to end up in hell. And the only thing that can set us free from sin is the gospel. That's the delivering piece is the gospel. Now, think about the illustration. I'll use the same illustration throughout. Think about a man in a jail, okay? Jail cell. Watch Gunsmoke. You'll get it. Watch a jail cell. A man's in jail. He needs deliverance. So we take, watch the apple dumpling gang. It don't work out great. We take a rope, and you tie it to the bars. And you take off, and you yank the bars out of the wall, and the wall falls down. What's the guy in the prison do? It's not a hard question. He goes out. He's delivered, right? So he, he goes out. That's good news. But it's not great news. It's just partially good. Because when he runs out, he's still wanted. So he's running around, but he's hiding from the police. Because if they find him, they're going to put him back in jail because he's still a wanted criminal. We delivered him, but we need more of a gospel than that. Well, I'm glad you asked. Number two, redemption. Also in verse six, after bringing them out and after delivering them, he says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with a great acts of judgment. At the very centerpiece of redemption is the idea to purchase or to buy, to pay a payment. Exodus 15, 13, he says, you have, led, you have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. Four verses in Psalms. Psalm 74, 2, a congregation you purchased of old. You have redeemed the tribe of your heritage. Psalm 77, 15, you with your arm redeemed your people. Psalm 78, 35, the most high God, their redeemer. Psalm 106, verse 10, he saved them from the hand of the foe and redeemed them from the power of the enemy. The fine is paid. All legal obligations are met. In our story of the gospel, how is redemption paid? By the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being paid for our iniquities. Why is he hanging on this cross? He's bearing our sin and paying the penalty that we deserve. Think about it. You deserve to go to hell and Christ substituted and paid your payment for you in order that you could go free. Look, and make sure theologically you understand this. The devil is paid nothing. There's a lot of heresy out there in the world today preaching that that Jesus had to go down to hell and do some preaching and make this payment to the devil. God don't owe the devil nothing. 
And he didn't pay him nothing. You say, well, how do you know that? Because I've read my Bible, and I read in Exodus, and I know that when they were redeemed out of Israel, I can tell you how much money Pharaoh got. Nothing. Not only did he not get anything, but he got plundered, and they took all of his wealth, and they left with everything, and then God drowned them in the sea. You say, well, who'd God pay? God paid himself. God made the law, God set the fine, and God met his own demands for his own glory. Don't ever forget that. Don't ever forget that. The good gospel we have. Think about it. Go back to the man in jail. We already pulled the wall down, and he ran out of the jail. But now we have a second piece of the story of the gospel. Redemption. His fine's paid. His name's been cleared. Not only is he out of jail, but he's not wanted. The police aren't looking for him because all his obligations have been met. What a great, this is true of us in the gospel. Not only are you delivered from sin, but your fine is paid. Your sins are not remembered anymore. You want to hear it in the New Testament? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of the woman, born of the law, to redeem to redeem those who are under the law. Or Titus 2.14, Jesus who gave himself to redeem us. Yes, he is our redeemer. Man, we have been delivered from the burden of sin. We've been delivered from the nightmare of slavery to the devil and sin. And we have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's what Moses preached. That's the same thing Paul preached. It's the same thing that Jesus preached. Which brings us to our third word. It gets even better. Adoption. Look in your text, Exodus 6, verse 7. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out. Back in Genesis 7, 17, God told this to Abraham, I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout all the generations for an everlasting covenant I'll be your God and to, to you and to your offspring after you. Remember, there was a little note that Pharaoh missed along the way, and it was really early on. One thing that's dangerous to do is to mess with God's family. And the very beginning in chapter 4, Moses told this to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn. You should have listened right then. But he didn't, and it cost him severely. But I do remind you of a new covenant. I won't read it all this morning, but Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 is the new covenant. And the phrases you need out of this covenant, which is so wonderful for the news of adoption, I will be their God, they shall be my people, they shall know me, I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Look, could you listen just for a moment this morning? How many stories I have heard over and over and over. I had a deadbeat father. My parents got divorced. They ran off. I had to live with my grandparents. I had to live with my, these people next door. Nobody cared. Nobody invested in my life. I didn't have a father figure. Nobody led me. I had nothing. Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. Nobody has pity on me. Stop it. The gospel has good news. Scratch all of that. I'm offering you a new father. I'm offering you one who loves you. I'm offering one who cares about you so much that he would send his own son to redeem you. And you can be a part of a family that's eternal and you'll never be cast away and he'll put his love on you forever. 
And you'll always be welcome. You've heard me say it a million times over. If I got in my truck tomorrow or tonight and I drove home and I went to my parents' house, I promise you I'm not knocking because it's home. And when you're adopted into the family of God, don't give me the stupid nonsense about what Peter's going to ask me when I get there. Peter, get out of my way. I'm home. I'll open the door myself. You say, what boldness you have. It's my home. You say, how can you say that? Because I know what John 14, 3 says. And Jesus said he's going to prepare a place for me. If it wasn't so, he wouldn't have told me. And he's going to prepare it. He's going to come and get me. That I can be with him where he is for eternity. It's adoption. Do you bear the name of Christ? You remember the guy in jail? We knocked the wall down. He ran out. And then we, we redeemed, paid his fine, and now he's free. That's not all the gospel. If that's all we do, he's got nowhere to live. He's just out on the street, walking around. At least he's not in jail. He got no food, he got no money, he got no house. That's not the gospel. You're not just delivered, and you're not just redeemed. If you have a father that comes up and says, Travis, you can live with me. You can be a part of my family, and we'll dwell together for eternity. And anything you need, I'll provide for you, because I'm a God of providence. Does anybody in here believe that? Very, very relational. In Galatians, to finish that verse I quoted earlier, to redeem those who are under the law. Why? Why did he do that? So that you would receive the adoption as sons. You remember Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5? He predestined us. Before the foundation of the world, he predestines us for what? Adoption. Adoption as what? As sons. How? Through Jesus Christ. Do you know what? The God of heaven, before there was creation, determined that you would be adopted as a son into his family. And out of all the million things that have happened, he's made sure that you heard the gospel, that you would repent and believe that you could be a part of this family. You know, look, I-, I told you about some woman down in a town I've never been to, and I was lost looking for a restaurant, and I stumbled upon a woman who speaks English. If God predetermined from eternity past, do you think he has the ability and the wisdom to get some white gringo to find the wrong street to go in a restaurant where somebody speaks English this is God he will gather his sheep when you go out on the street and preach the gospel it's not like a 50-50 chance it's not like well I hope it works buena suerte good luck there's no luck here we have the confidence of a gospel and we preach it And we preach for men and women to repent of their sins and to believe in Christ that they would be adopted into the family of God. You you under somebody please get this. You become an heir. You understand that everything that Christ owns is now become your rightful possession. Every all the riches and glory are yours in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that you are short on. Anything you need for this life and the life to come, He'll provide it. In His wisdom, in His providence, in His time, you can trust Him. I don't care if we get double, triple, quadruple pandemic, pandemonium, COVID, and seventeen wars going on at the same time. The church will be fine. He'll take care of His children. And one day he's going to gather them and bring them home. 
Number four, promise. Verse eight, I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and I'll give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. There's your promise. God reminded Moses of the covenant he made in Genesis 12. To you, your offspring, I will give this land. Now, get this. As if God raises his hand and swears. It's impossible for God to lie. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Raise my hand. This is what I will do. Ezekiel reflects upon this in Ezekiel 20, verses 5 and 6. And he says, thus says the Lord God, on the day when I chose Israel, I swore to the offspring of the house of Jacob, making myself known to them in the land of Egypt. I swore to them saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I swore to them, I would bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land I had searched out for them, a land flowing with milk and honey, the most glorious of all lands. Anybody in the room remember Jericho? I'm telling you, they get in possession here. And on top of that, it's not just this little small region over on the other side of the world. You're going to inherit the entire globe. This promise is all grace. God's going to bring them in by mighty acts. He's going to bring them in by providence. He's going to bring them in by infinite wisdom. He's going to bring them in and give them a possession free of charge. To be saved is to receive the promise. I go and prepare a place for you. We broke the bars down, we paid the fine, and we adopted the guy. And then we gave him a promise. I'm going to build you a place where you can dwell eternally with me. This is the gospel. That's what he's saying to each one of you. I deliver you from the burden of sin. I deliver you from slavery. I redeem you and pay your fine by substituting you in your place on the cross. I adopt you into my family, and I'm going to heaven. I'm going to play a place for you, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to take you to me where you can be with me forever. That's good news because I sure don't want to live here. I sure don't want to stay in the bondage of sin. You know, the, the stupidity and foolishness of our world. You know what the lost people have? They have alcohol. They have drugs. They have sex. They have stupid music that makes no sense. They have materialism. They have selfishness. They have pride. They have arrogance. And they have a destiny in hell where they'll burn forever. No thanks. No thanks. I have a family with a father who loves me. And I can lay down at night and I can rest because he gives his beloved sleep. Salvation is of the Lord. I learned that from Jonah. Four things, same four words. Just to make sure you understand this is the gospel that Moses preached and Jesus preached. Revelation 1.5, to him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Deliverance was Jesus. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. Ephesians 1, 7, redemption. Adoption, 2 Corinthians 6, 16. I will make my dwelling among them. I will walk among them. Listen to what Jesus says. I will be their God. Jesus says, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Adoption. And fourth, one of the the most glorious passages in all the New Testament. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Anybody interested? Look, look, people, all you got to do is go home and eat and look at stupid TV. 
Listen, I'm telling you about heaven and that you can inherit all of this in Christ. What kind of inheritance? I can tell you this, it's imperishable. I can tell you this, it's undefiled. I can tell you this, it's unfading. It's as good today as it was in eternity past. All of it's there. And here's the great news from Peter. Reserved. In heaven for you. I love that book. Got that cover on the front. And it's this endless table in heaven. And there's chairs lined all the way down the sides. And all the way through heaven. It's like there's no end to this table there in heaven. And on the back of every chair, it says... Reserved. Reserved. You ain't sitting in my chair, and I'm not sitting in your chair. But God made a reservation for me and a place to sit. Think about this. 2 Corinthians 1.20. Here's your promise. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God. For his glory. Now, we have seven I wills. We reduce those to four to make it simple. Combined a couple together. You understand the cross? All these seven I wills, you have Jesus on the cross, and he says, done. It is finished. God says, I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. Jesus says, done. Finished accomplished. Everything necessary for your salvation is accomplished in Christ. What do you got to do? Believe. Believe Christ. Believe Him. Just just give Him your life and serve Him until you die. Just believe Christ. It's been perfectly met. Every ounce of righteousness you need is in Christ. It's not about your work. not about your effort. I assure you, you're not going to heaven because your parents are Christian. You sure ain't getting in because your grandma's a Christian. You must repent, and you must believe. But I stay baffled at humanity. Exodus 6, verse 9, and we'll be done. So Moses preached the gospel of Christ, and then we have Exodus 6, 9. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, and they did not listen. They did not listen to Moses. Why not? Because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. Things are just so bad, I'll just stay in my same estate and stay in my burden and slavery. But I'm not listening to the preacher. I don't even like him. I don't care if you like me or not. I just don't want you to go to hell. I mean, that's the issue. How how can people... I'm not offering you some kind of weird thing. I'm not even offering you something. I'm declaring to you what God has said. You can be delivered and redeemed and adopted and receive the promises of God, and you want what? Country music and a beer? Are you kidding me? I just want, I just want to smoke some pot where I'll feel better and go to hell? I just want to have sex with a bunch of people. You just want to be a prostitute? I just, want to, I just want to be myself and do myself and just, you know, value my own flesh and die and go to hell and I'm fine with that. What is wrong with you? Here, I'm offering you redemption. I'm offering you heaven. I'm pointing you to Christ who's substituted in your place and you won't even look at him. Just break his heart. 
What about you? Will you listen? Would you please listen? You can be delivered. You can be redeemed. You can be adopted. You can receive the promises of God. You can inherit heaven. Just believe in a finished work. Christ, I can't do nothing. But you've done everything perfectly. And I believe you. I've heard that you're merciful. Would you have mercy on me? I heard you gave free gifts. I need one. I got nothing in my hands. I got nothing to offer. Just want mercy. But if you won't believe Moses, you're not going to believe if somebody rose from the dead. And by the way, there is no plan B. You'll either repent and believe or you'll go to hell. They're not a plan B. They're not a two ways. Israel gets saved this way and you get saved that way. There's only one gospel. I invite you to look to Christ and believe him. Brother Jeff, you'll sing and close this out this morning.